Welcome to Dreamful Podcast, bedtime stories for slumber. I would like to start off this episode by thanking our newest Patreon supporters, David, Matthew, and Samuel Cook. Thank you three so much, and I hope you have the sweetest of dreams. In this special holiday episode, I will be reading an adaptation of The Nutcracker and The Mouse King. So, snuggle up in your blankets and have sweet dreams. During the long, long day of Christmas Eve, Frederick and his little sister Maria sat in a dark chamber, not allowed to enter the parlor. Fred whispered to Maria that ever since morning, he had heard a rustling and a knocking coming from the forbidden chambers, as well as seeing Godfather Drosselmeyer carrying a large chest Godfather Drosselmeyer was not a handsome man, small, thin, wrinkled, and bald. He was very clever, with clocks and watches though, and always brought something special for the children when he visited, like little moving men, boxes with birds inside, or other exciting surprises. Maria clapped her hands together with joy and exclaimed, Ah, what beautiful things has Godfather Drosselmeyer made for us this time? Fred thought it was a castle. No, no, cried Maria. Godfather Drosselmeyer has told me of a lovely garden where there is a lake upon which beautiful swans swim about with golden collars around their necks. And so the children continued to guess what possible gifts awaited them on Christmas Eve. By this time, it had become quite dark. Frederick and Maria sat close together, not speaking a word. At this moment, a shrill sound broke about their ears. Klingling, klingling. Suddenly, the doors flew open and brilliant light filled the room and the children exclaimed in wonder. Papa and Mama stepped through the door, took them by the hand and said, Come, come, dear children, and see what Christmas has brought you this year. The children's eyes sparkled with amazement at the sight of the many Christmas gifts before them. A tall fir tree stood in the middle, laden with gold and silver apples, sugar almonds, comfits, and every kind of confectionery. Its little lights twinkling like stars in the dark. The children 
couldn't contain their joy. They were surely very good during the past year. The tree was gleaming with all sorts of wonderful gifts. Dolls, a tea set, furniture, and the most beautiful dress Maria had ever seen. She couldn't take her eyes off it. So filled with delight, she wished to put it on. The children ran to the table against the wall, where Godfather Drosselmeyer was about to display his Christmas gift. The curtain was quickly drawn, revealing picture books of beautiful flowers, people dressed in bright colors, and boys and girls playing happily. Then, they heard a bell again. Klingling, klingling, and knew that their Christmas surprise was about to begin. Upon a green meadow, spangled with flowers, stood a noble castle with clear glass windows and golden turrets. A musical clock began to play when the doors and windows flew open, and little men and women, with feathers in their hats and long flowing trains, were seen sauntering about in the rooms. In the middle hall, which seemed as if it were all on fire, so many little tapers were burning in silver chandeliers. There were children in white frocks and green jackets, dancing to the sound of the music. A man in an emerald green cloak at intervals put his head out of the window, nodded, and then disappeared. And Godfather Drosselmeyer himself, only that he was not much bigger than Papa's thumb, came now and then to the door of the castle, looked about him, and then went in again. After a while, as the men and women kept walking back and forth, and the children danced, and the emerald man looked out of his window, and Godfather Drosselmeyer came to the door, and all without the least change. Fred called out impatiently. Godfather Drosselmeyer, Fred said wearily, if your little figures can do nothing else but always the same thing, they're no good to me. I'd rather have my horsemen who obey my orders and aren't stuck in a house. Maria had also softly stolen away, for she too was soon tired of the sauntering and dancing puppets in the castle. Counselor Drosselmeyer turned to the parents and said, somewhat angrily, An ingenious work like this was not made for stupid children. I will put up my castle again and carry it home. But their mother now stepped forward and desired to see the secret mechanism and curious works by which the little figures were set in motion. The counselor took it all apart and then put it together again. While he was employed in this manner, he became good-natured once more. It was then that Maria had discovered a curious little man who stood there, silent and retired, 
as if he were waiting quietly for his turn to be noticed. He was dressed in a bright violet horseman's jacket with white loops and buttons, pantaloons of the same color, and neat boots. On his back, he wore a narrow, clumsy cloak, and on his head, an ugly woodman's cap. Yet despite this, he looked incredibly handsome. His kind eyes shone green, and his sweet smile was enhanced by the neatly trimmed beard of white cotton about his chin. Maria couldn't help but admire him even more each moment she looked upon him. It seemed to her that no one could ever look so handsome as he did. Ah, oh, dear father, Maria exclaimed. Who is that charming little man by the tree there? He can crack the hardest nuts with his teeth, her father said, and took him carefully from the table and raised up his wooden cloak, whereupon the little man stretched his mouth open wide. Maria put a nut in his mouth, and crack, the man had bitten it in two. Her father told them that the man was from a family of nutcrackers and belonged to all three of them equally. Maria was delighted, and her father said, Since he is so favored by you, Maria, I entrust him especially to your care. Maria took the nutcracker in her arms and set him to cracking nuts. Louise and Fred joined in, but Fred always chose the biggest and hardest nuts. With a loud crack, three teeth fell out of Nutcracker's mouth, and his jaw became loose and rickety. Oh, my poor Nutcracker, Maria exclaimed as she quickly snatched him away from Fred. Fred scoffed. He's a silly one wants to be a nutcracker and has lousy teeth. Let me have him, Maria. He'll crack nuts for me even if he loses all his teeth. No, Maria cried, tears streaming down her cheeks. You mustn't take my nutcracker. Look at how sadly he looks at me. Maria began to cry, wrapping the nutcracker in her handkerchief. She then collected together Nutcracker's lost teeth, tied up his wounded chin with a nice white ribbon which she had taken from her dress, and then wrapped up the little fellow more carefully than ever in her handkerchief, for he looked very pale and frightened. Thus, she held him, rocking him in her arms like a little child, while she looked over the beautiful pictures of the new picture book, which she found among her other Christmas gifts. In the doctor's house sat a glass display case. It was made so skillfully with large, clear panes of glass that everything placed in it looked brighter and handsomer than it had before. The top shelf held Godfather Drosselmeyer's machines, the second one 
house picture books, and Maria used the lower one for her dolls, while Fred played with his toy soldiers on the other. Maria laid aside her old doll, Miss Trutchen, and welcomed the new doll, Miss Clara. She furnished the chamber with a chintz sofa, several tiny chairs, a tea table, and a clean white bed for her to rest in. The glass case was adorned with cheerful pictures, creating a cozy atmosphere for her new friend. Fred went up to bed, and Maria stayed with her playthings. She was very sensible, and her mother had no worries about leaving her alone. Maria laid the nutcracker on the table, unrolled her handkerchief, and examined his wound. He smiled so kindly that it went straight to Maria's heart. Ah, nutcracker, she said softly. Do not be angry at my brother Fred. He meant no harm. I'll tend you carefully until you are merry again. Godfather Drosselmeyer must fix your teeth and shoulders. As Maria spoke Drosselmeyer's name, Nutcracker made a strange face, and his eyes flushed green. Maria was about to be scared, but then she noticed it was just the glare of the lamp that had distorted his features. I love Nutcracker too much to be afraid of him, said Maria, picking up the puppet. She took him to the glass case and told Clara, Give your bed to the sickly Nutcracker. You can make do with a sofa. She raised the bed to the shelf and placed it close by Fred's horseman. The Nutcracker was now in a beautiful place full of wonders. As soon as he opened his eyes, he saw pretty dolls dancing around him on the shelf, each one more charming than the last. He looked at them in great wonderment and asked, What are these? The other dolls who had been watching replied, These are the royal court we dance all day long and bring joy to those who behold us. The case was locked, and Maria was about to go up to bed, when suddenly it began to rustle and whisper. The great clock whirred loud and louder, but couldn't strike. Wonders upon wonders were occurring. The clock whirred louder until it spoke. Dickory, dickory, dock. Whirr softly clock. Mouse King has fine ear. Purr, purr, pum, pum. On the twelfth strike of the clock, the owl dropped its wings covering the face and stretched out his head with a short crooked beak looking like a cat. Pum pum went the clock, with a dull deadened sound twelve times. 
just then, Maria heard a wild squeaking and whimpering coming from all directions. She soon noticed hundreds of mice peeping out through the crevices in the floor and galloping about the room. Fred's soldiers came to mind as they formed lines and columns ready for battle. Maria was terrified when seven mice heads with sparkling crowns burst out of the floor before her feet. The great mouse king crowned with seven diadems advanced towards her, squeaking loudly and leading his army towards the glass case. Maria had no choice but to stand close before it. Her heart was racing in fear when she stumbled back and heard a loud clatter as the glass pane she had hit with her elbow shattered. She thought she would surely die, but instead found herself standing still in shock. Suddenly, from the glass case, she heard voices calling. Up, up, awake, arms take, awake to the fight, this night, up, up, to the fight. As she listened to the strange sound, she realized it was coming from her beloved musical clock and exclaimed joyfully. Nutcracker raised himself, declaiming, Crack, crack, stupid pack, drive mouse back, crick, crack. Little figures on the shelf stirred and bustled, preparing for something. The nutcracker then leapt out of bed, shouting, Stupid pack, mouse back. The astonished Maria watched all of this with amazement. She now knew her beloved nutcracker was a brave soldier. The nutcracker drew his sword and asked, Will you stand by me in the fight? His loyal army shouted in unison, Yes, we will follow you to victory or death. The brave nutcracker leapt down from the shelf, and his followers followed. Their bodies made of cotton, so that they plumped like bags of wool. Miss Clara the doll sprung quickly from the sofa and caught Nutcracker in her arms, saving him from a certain fall. You will not, oh my lord, sick and wounded as you are, share the dangers of the fight. But Nutcracker demeaned himself very ungraciously, for he kicked and struggled so violently with his legs that Clara was obliged to set him quickly down upon the floor. He then, however, dropped gracefully upon one knee and said, Fair lady, the recollection of thy favor and condescension will go with me into the battle and the strife. Clara stooped to take him by the arm, but Nutcracker stepped back and said earnestly, 
Not so, fair lady. Lavish not thy favors thus upon me. He then tore off Maria's ribbon and hung it around his neck like a scarf. Flourishing his blade bravely, he leapt out of the glass case onto the floor. Suddenly, they heard squeaking and whistling from under the large table. It was the hateful mice, with their countless bands, led by a towering mouse with seven heads. Nutcracker shouted, Beat the march, drummer. The drummer immediately rattled and rolled on his drum. Nutcracker then turned to Harlequin and said, General, I know your courage and experience. Seize the proper moment. I entrust all cavalry and artillery to your command. Harlequin crowed piercingly, sounding like a hundred trumpets were blown merrily. The nutcracker watched in awe as regiment after regiment of Fred's colorful soldiers, dragoons and horsemen marched out from the glass case and aligned themselves across the chamber. The cannon roared, shooting sugar plums at the mice, a white powdery shower that caused them to flee in confusion. And Maria could scarcely see what now happened for the smoke and dust. The mice fought with great animosity, and the battle was long and fierce. Amid loud and hideous squeaks, a large mass of mice cavalry debauched from under the settee and threw themselves at the left wing. Their brave resistance, therefore, was of no avail to Nutcracker's army, which, once having begun to retreat, retired farther and farther, and at every step with diminished numbers, until the unfortunate Nutcracker halted, with a little band close before the glass case. Let the reserve advance. Harlequin, Scaramouche, Drummer, where are you? Nutcracker, now completely surrounded by the foe, was in the greatest peril. He tried to leap over the edge into the glass case, but found his legs too short. Clara and Trachin lay each in a deep swoon. They could not help him. Soldiers and dragoons sprang merrily by him into safe quarters, and in wild despair he cried, A horse, a horse, a kingdom for a horse. At this moment, two of the enemies seized him by his wooden mantle, and the Mouse King squeaking from his seven throats, leapt in triumph towards him. Maria could no longer control herself. Oh, my poor nutcracker, she cried, sobbing, and without being exactly conscious of what she did, grasped her shoe and threw it with all her strength 
into the thickest of the mice, straight at their king. In an instant, all seemed scattered and dispersed, but Maria felt in her left arm a still sharper pain than before, and sank in a swoon to the floor. When Maria woke out of her deep slumber, she found herself lying in her own bed, with the sun shining bright and sparkling through the ice-covered windows into the chamber. Close beside her sat a stranger, whom she soon realized, however, as a surgeon Wendelstern. He said softly, She is awake. Her mother then came to the bedside and gazed upon her with anxious and inquiring looks. Ah, dear mother, whispered little Maria, are all the hateful mice gone, and is the good nutcracker safe? What have the mice to do with the nutcracker? Maria's mother asked. You naughty child, you caused us a great deal of anxiety. It was fortunate that I awoke about midnight, and not finding you in your bed, got up and went into the sitting room. I almost fainted at the sight. There you lay in a swoon upon the floor, and scattered around were many of Frederick's soldiers, broken china figures, dolls and other playthings, and not far off your left shoe. Oh, mother. Maria cried. I saw the battle between puppets and mice. It was so scary. I threw my shoe at them to protect the poor nutcracker. Surgeon Wendelstern made a sign to the mother, and she said very softly to Maria, Well, never mind about it, my dear child. The mice are all gone, and the little nutcracker stands safe and sound in the glass case. Despite the pain in her arm, Maria felt comfortable, knowing the nutcracker was safe. She often thought she heard his voice sing, Maria, dear lady, what thanks do I not owe you? But you can still do more for me. One evening, Godfather Drosselmeyer came to visit Maria. He put his hand in his pocket and drew out Nutcracker with his teeth fastened in and his chin sound. Maria cried aloud with joy to see her Nutcracker fixed. Do you know the story of Princess Perlipat and the Lady Mouserings, Maria? asked Godfather Drosselmeyer. Is quite a tale, one of an ugly hereditary curse inflicted upon the Nutcracker family by a skillful watchmaker. No frightful stories, please, the mother begged, to which Drosselmeyer answered good-naturedly. Not at all, my story this time is droll and merry. Begin then, dear godfather, cried the children. 
And so he told the story. Perlipat was born a princess, and she was the most beautiful child in all the world. Her face was like lilies and roses, her eyes were sparkling blue, and her hair curled in golden ringlets. Even at two hours old, she had pearly teeth, with which she bit the High Chancellor's finger, making him yell out in pain. Everyone agreed that no lovelier baby had ever been seen before. The queen had the doors guarded by soldiers and two nurses, constantly watching over Perlipat's cradle. Additionally, six maids were required to sit in the room each night with a cat on their lap and stroke it all night, and thus keep it continually purring. No one knew why this was so, but the story reveals why this precaution was taken. The king, wishing to show his wealth and make a grand feast, invited the assembled kings and princes. He then said affectionately to the queen, You know, my dear, how extremely fond I am of sausages. The queen quickly took up her apron and began preparing the sausage meat. The smell eventually reached the royal council chamber and excited the king so much, he ran into the kitchen, embraced the queen, and stirred with his golden scepter in the kettle before returning calmly to finish his business. The important moment had now arrived when the fat was to be chopped into little pieces and browned gently in the silver stew pans. The queen heard a small whispering voice, Give me a little of the fat, sister. I should like my part of the feast. I too am a queen. Give me a little of the fat. The queen knew it was Lady Mouserings. Lady Mouserings had lived these many years in the king's palace. She maintained that she was related to the royal family and that she was herself a queen in the kingdom of Mauselia. Though she didn't recognize her as a true queen and sister, the kind-hearted queen still allowed Lady Mouserings to have a banquet on this great holiday. The queen hurried to reach pieces of fat to Lady Mouserings, but before she had the chance, all the cousins and aunts of Lady Mouserings came running out, including her seven sons. The terrified queen couldn't drive them away until the chief maid of honor chased them away. Luckily, there was still enough fat left for the sausages. The king's mathematician declared that it could be distributed with the nicest judgment and skill. The guests were in shock as they watched the king grow pale and paler throughout the first course of sausage. As the second course of long sausages arrived, he collapsed back onto his throne, sobbing and moaning with his hands held to his face. 
despite the royal physician's attempts. No cure could be found for the king's deep-seated suffering until he uttered one phrase. Too little fat, too little fat. Everyone was left wondering what it meant. The queen threw herself at the king's feet, sobbing. Punish me. Lady Mouserings and her family has eaten your fat. The king roared in rage and called for his privy council. After a trial, it was decided to confiscate all her estates, but still fearing she would eat more fat, the affair was placed in the hands of royal watchmaker and machinist. This man, whose name was the same as mine to wit, Christian Elias Drosselmeyer, devised a plan to drive Lady Mouserings and her family away by placing machines with toasted fat around the palace. Despite Lady Mouserings' warnings, many of her sons and relatives were caught by the iron grating in the machines and slaughtered in the kitchen. Lady Mouserings and her family fled in despair and revenge. The court rejoiced, but the queen was greatly worried, knowing Lady Mouserings would not let her son's death pass without retribution. Lady Mouserings appeared one day when the queen was in the kitchen. My sons, my cousins and aunts are destroyed. Take care, queen, Lady Mouserings warned, that Mouse Queen must not bite thy little princess in two. With that, she vanished. The queen was so frightened, she dropped the hash into the fire and ruined it for the king. Counselor Drosselmeyer's machines weren't enough to protect Princess Perlipat from Lady Mouserings, so the court astronomer declared that Baron Purr's family could. They were secretaries of legation, always ready for an embassy abroad. Now was the time for them to prove their worth. To do this, each of the waiting women had to hold a son of Baron Purr's on their lap and constantly show them attention and fondness. Late one night, the two chief nurses awoke to find Lady Mouserings, a large, dreadful mouse, standing by the princess's cradle. They screamed in terror and woke everyone up, but Lady Mouserings quickly ran away to a corner of the room. The secretaries of legation leaped after her, but too late. She had disappeared through a hole in the floor. Little Perlipat awoke at the noise and wept bitterly. To their terror, Perlipat had changed. Her white and red face, replaced with a large, ill-shaped head and green, staring eyes. Her little mouth had stretched itself from ear to ear. The king was grief-stricken 
he blamed Christian Elias Drosselmeyer for the curse upon Perlipat and decreed that he must restore her within four weeks or suffer a shameful death. Drosselmeyer was terrified, but determined to try his luck in curing the princess. He took little Princess Perlipat apart with great dexterity, unscrewed her little hands and feet, and carefully examined her inward structure. But he found that the princess would grow uglier as she grew bigger, and knew not what to do or what to advise. He put the princess carefully together again, and sank down by her cradle in despair, for he was not allowed to leave it. The fourth week had commenced, when the king looked in with flashing eyes, and shaking his scepter at him, cried, Christian Elias Drosselmeyer, cure the princess, or thou must die. Drosselmeyer began to weep bitterly, but the Princess Perlipat lay as happy as the day and cracked nuts. After her transformation, she had screamed continually until a nut accidentally came in her way, which she immediately put into her mouth, cracked it, ate the kernel, and then became quite composed. Since that time, her nurses found that nothing pleased her so well as to be supplied with nuts. Christian Elias Drosselmeyer asked for permission to consult with the royal astronomer and was led there under a strong guard. After embracing his old friend warmly and shedding many tears, they retired into a private cabinet to examine books about instinct, sympathies, and antipathies. The night grew late as they worked diligently on Princess Perlipat's horoscope, until finally, it became clear. Her only path to freedom from the magic that had deformed her was to eat the kernel of the nut Krakatuk. Now the nut Krakatuk had such a hard shell that an eight and forty pounder might be wheeled over it without breaking it. This hard nut must be cracked with the teeth before the princess by a man who had never been shaved and had never worn boots. The young man must then hand her the kernel with closed eyes and must not open them again until he had marched seven steps backwards, without stumbling. The king promised the machinist a diamond sword, four orders of honor, and two new Sunday suits for finding a way to restore the Princess Perlipat's beauty. He agreed that the machinist could leave court, accompanied by the royal astronomer, on a quest to find Krakatuk and bring it back. Drosselmeyer and the Astronomer 
had been on their journey for 15 years in search of Krakatuk, without success. All their adventures were too numerous to mention. So Drosselmeyer ultimately felt a great longing to return home to Nuremberg. And the astronomer suggested they go look for the nut there. Drosselmeyer and his brother, Christopher Zacharias Drosselmeyer, a puppet maker, varnisher, and gilder, reunited in Nuremberg after Drosselmeyer's travels. The watchmaker told his brother the whole story of the Princess Perlipat, Lady Mouserings, and the nut, Krakatuk, so that he struck his hands together over and over again with astonishment and exclaimed, Brother, you are safe. Safe, I say, for I must be wonderfully mistaken if I have not that nut, Krakatuk, at this very moment in my possession. He drew out a gilded nut from his pocket and explained that many years ago, a stranger came to town with a sack full of nuts. The man put down his sack upon the ground, and at the same moment, a heavily laden wagon passed directly over it. As the wagon passed over, only this one nut remained unbroken. The man asked for a dollar from 1720 in exchange for it, which Christopher found in his pocket and bought the nut for. The joy of the travelers was beyond bounds when they found a long-sought nut, Krakatuk, engraved in Chinese characters. The machinist and the astronomer quickly put on their nightcaps to cast the young man's horoscope. It must be none other than the brother's son who would crack the nut and hand its kernel to the princess. The astronomer could not sleep for excitement. He had to take an observation that very night. The brother's son was a handsome young man who had never been shaved and rarely wore boots. On Christmas days, he would dress in a fine red coat trimmed with gold, a sword and a hat and wig, and stand in his father's shop cracking nuts for the young girls. He was known as the handsome nutcracker. The astronomer was delighted and suggested they craft a wooden cue for the machinist's nephew to join it to his jaw so he could crack the nut with great force. They also decided to keep him hidden until the king promised success in cracking it and restoring the princess's beauty. Then he would be rewarded with her hand in marriage and succession to the throne. The puppet maker was delighted his son could marry the princess, so he left him under Drosselmeyer and the astronomer's care. Experiments with a cue were successful on the hardest peach stones 
so messages had been sent to the palace and many handsome young princes, hoping their teeth would work, arrived to free Perlipat. The travelers were shocked to see the princess again. Her small body couldn't carry her huge, misshapen head and long white beard. One youth after another tried to crack open the hard nut Krakatuk, but none could succeed until one bit it so hard. He was led away, half swooning, and murmured, That was a hard nut. Young Drosselmeyer stepped forward and received the nut Krakatuk from the Master of Ceremonies. He bit it, pulled his cue hard, and cracked it into many pieces. He then bowed to the princess and offered her the kernel. She swallowed it and transformed instantly into a beautiful figure with rosy cheeks, sparkling blue eyes, and golden ringlets. Drums and trumpets accompanied the joyous celebrations of the people. However, as young Drosselmeyer was about to take his seventh step, Lady Mouserings rose up from the floor. His foot came down upon her head, and he stumbled. Suddenly, he changed back into Princess Perlipat's former figure, a shriveled body with an oversized misshapen head, green staring eyes, and a wooden cloak hanging off his back. He had become the Nutcracker. The watchmaker and astronomer were shocked while Lady Mouserings rolled on the floor. With her dying breath, she squeaked. Oh, Krakatuk, hard nut of thee, I now must die. Sun with seven crowns will bite Nutcracker at night and revenge his mother's death. Then she died, and the royal oven heater took away her body. Young Drosselmeyer was pushed out of the palace and forgotten. The princess lived happily in her father's kingdom ever after. She often thought of young Drosselmeyer and wondered what became of him but nobody could tell her anything about it. The Nutcracker remained a mysterious figure, his fate unknown to everyone but himself. <laughs>